Welcome to a new edition of The Peach Pit. Uh, my name is Jason Longshore. I'm one of the managing editors at DirtySouthSoccer.com. This could end up being a mega burger-sized edition of The Peach Pit. Uh, later, we'll have an interview I did last night with Andre Sherard, uh, former Atlanta Silverbacks defender and current MLS college scout. Um, talking about the Super Draft and some of the prospects that could be available for Atlanta United. But first off, we'll kind of take a look at the roster that Atlanta United has currently and how they will be able to fill the open slots really between now and the end of next week. You know, sitting here today on Tuesday afternoon, December 6th, we're just about a week away from the MLS expansion draft, which has been probably the highest profile opportunity for Atlanta United to add players uh, during this offseason. But as we're seeing, um, they're not waiting. <laughs> Yesterday, the uh, word came down that Miguel Almiron from Paraguay was the second designated player signing for Atlanta United. Looks like we have some decent confirmation from Grant Wall and 442 and Paul Tenorio that it's an $8.5 million transfer fee. Now, there's some questions about uh, if you look at, at Almiron's history and you start to research uh, past transfer deals. He went to Lanús from Cerro Porteño in Uruguay back in the summer of 2015. And that deal was around 2 or $2.5 million. Cerro uh, Porteño retained 20% of uh, Almiron's registration. So they earned money on this deal. I don't know if that came out of the $8.5 million or if it was separate. I've seen some conflicting reports. So, you know, I don't know if we'll ever know, to be honest, but it's a substantial transfer deal. Uh, might not be the biggest in MLS history, but it's very close. And it's the biggest for a player of Almiron's stature. Um, when we're talking about a 22-year-old player on the rise, as opposed to an older player or an established veteran player, this is a, a move for the future. Um, we've seen that it's a five-year deal. Not sure if, if that will ever come out confirmed, but I believe it was Tenorio at 442 had this down as a, a $20 million investment over five years, which would you know put his transfer fee and salary to combined um, in that range. So this is a big move. This is a huge move. And I think as everybody has said, you know, I'm not, not breaking any new ground here saying this is a huge statement of intent from Atlanta United. They have two young designated players in Hector Vichalba and Miguel Almiron now, uh, both attacking young South American players. We'll see who the third designated player ends up being. Uh, we reported earlier today uh, on Grant Wall's report in Sports Illustrated that everything still appears to be on track for Andres Guardado to join the club in January, according to Wall. We've heard both. We've heard January. We've also heard uh, this could be in the summer after PSV season ends. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see on that. Guardado would be the third and final designated player for Atlanta United, and he would fill a role in the midfield where you would look at a potential midfield um, if you're talking about a a five-man midfield, if you're if we're going to take uh, Martino's typical 4-3-3 and turn it into a 4-2-3-1, with Chris McCann as a holding defensive midfielder, Andres Guardado and Almiron as box-to-box, uh, -box, um, both you know kind of get into the attack. Uh, Tito Vichalba on the right side, and we have an open spot on the left, and we'll get into who could fill that in a minute. And then Kenwin Jones up top. You'll notice that I did not mention any defenders because there are not any at the moment. Um, goalkeeper, we have Alex Tambakis, uh, who is probably looking at ideally a number two spot here in 2017 with Atlanta United. The uh, reports and rumors are out there that Atlanta will trade for Sean Johnson from the Chicago Fire. We've talked about that here on this, this podcast. Uh, Johnson would be your number one going into the season if that comes through. Also has been heavily rumored that Kevin Kratz, a uh, German defensive midfielder, will be coming over from the Philadelphia Union in the trade window ahead of the expansion draft. Uh, Kratz can play as a defensive midfielder. He can also play as a central midfielder, box-to-box, -box, so he can spell McCann. 
He can spell Guardado or Almiron, or he could just give a different look depending on the opponent and the situation. Lots of different things going on here. We also have Brandon Vasquez uh, back up forward, uh, 18 years old, member of the USU 19 squad who was signed on Friday during our live Peachtree post, which was pretty cool. I, we, we did discover that uh, Jarrett and I both really enjoyed doing the live show on Friday mornings, and we're going to continue with that. We can't promise that there will be a player signing every Friday. Uh, we can only hope. So that will continue. So 10 a.m. on Fridays, we're going to do an hour-long Peachtree post live. Uh, definitely join in where you can, and it'll be available via podcast soon after. Okay, so we've talked about what we have so far. Here's a couple of things to keep in mind before we start going through the acquisition methods again. International slots has been a big question after Almiron's signing. And as of this moment, there are five players that will take up international slots. They are Almiron, Vishalba, Kenwin Jones, Chris McCann, and uh, Jeffrey O2. Uh, Junior Burgos is a green card holder, and he would not count as an international slot. Uh, None of the others would as well. Tambakis, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a dual citizen um, of Greece and the U.S., so he would not count as an international either. Uh, Looking at the potential moves uh, that could come in, Kratz would count as an international. Sean Johnson would not. Uh, Andres Guardado would So that puts you on seven with Guardado and Kratz. There is also the three young players from Newell's Old Boys that would be available via loan. And according to reports that I've been able to get out of Argentina, these three players have been approved for loan to Atlanta United with an option to buy. Uh, One is a left back, one is a center back, and one is an attacking central midfielder. So we'll have to see what happens with those three um, and, in, and how that affects the international slot designation. There is always the possibility that some of these players who would take up international slots could be loaned out to the USL. And, and Jeffrey O2 would be a, a prime example for that as a player who didn't get a lot of playing time when he came over the summer um, at Charleston. So he could be a player that is loaned to get playing time rather than sit on the bench and not get to play much. Um, Not sure about the three Newell's players, what the situation is with them. Maybe there could be a transition period where they are loaned to Charleston for a while uh, as they adjust to the U S could be either a, you know, six month loan or a full year loan, depending on their loan status here. That's very up in the air and we, we won't know for a while there. Uh, there's also the possibility that some of these players are moved on before we get to regular season play for Atlanta United next year. There's The trade window will be busy um, both before the expansion draft and in training camp. So things will happen. Things will come up quickly. Atlanta seems to be a club that will not be afraid of making bold moves to improve their roster. So don't be shocked if we see some moves that you might not expect at the moment. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. International slots is something to look for. I, I would be absolutely shocked if Atlanta did not make trades to acquire more international slots from within the league. You see a few teams that end up with 10, 11, 12, I think you'll see Atlanta at least trade for two more slots, which would get you to 10. So we'll see where that goes. Keep an, keep an eye on that. Yeah, it could happen in that trade window as well before the expansion draft. Another thing to keep in mind that is, is still breaking is the demise of the North American Soccer League and especially the New York Cosmos. The New York Cosmos released all of their players. Uh, they are available on free transfers at the moment. And there's a few that could be a fit in Atlanta. Um, Jimmy Maurer is one at goalkeeper. Also, Danny Zatella, even though he appears to be under discovery rights to New York City FC. Um, the Cosmos are the North American Soccer League champions. They have a quality roster. There's some players that will end up in MLS, and we'll just have to see if any of those end up here in Atlanta. Minnesota would obviously have probably a greater advantage in knowing these players having played in the NASL next year. So we'll see if any of them end up in, in Minnesota, uh, thanks to that connection. All right. When we start looking at 
what's next. We have the trade window ahead of the expansion draft on Sunday morning after MLS Cup. That will be from 9 a.m. to noon. That is where it appears Atlanta will acquire Kevin Kratz and Sean Johnson. We'll see if there's anything in addition to those two. Um, Also, I would expect other moves to happen within the league as well that could create a domino effect. The expansion draft, uh, if you didn't see our article today at Dirty South, we did a mock MLS expansion draft with our friends at E Pluribus Lunum, uh, the new Minnesota United blog, one of the greatest names of all time. And the way this worked was each of the MLS team blogs submitted a protected list, just like the teams will next week. So we're going by what each of the blogs gave us as their protected list. And that's how Rob and I went through and created a strategy and did our draft. So it's not exact. It's, you know, there's a lot of guessing games in terms of who will be available in the expansion draft. And it was the same for for every blog in the country as to who they thought would be available off of their own team. There were a few that, that were surprises to us that we didn't think would be available. Um, we tried to be very realistic in who we thought would be available, who would be a fit rather than just taking a player because we think they're good. And I'll run through that list now. Now remember this is a mock draft. This is based off of conjecture from other blogs. So, you know, don't put a ton of stock into it, but I'll, I'll try to explain kind of what we were thinking. So, Gonzalo Verón was our first pick from the New York Red Bulls. He's a player that it's all over the place on if he'll be protected or not. Probably a month ago, everybody thought he would be unprotected and be available. Now, we're not so sure. Uh, New York has said some different things that they really value Verón and they think he'll fit in better next year. So it's probably a toss-up on if he's available. If he is available, I think he'll be the best player on the board, and I think he would really fit a need for Atlanta United, and I'll explain it. When you start to look at this midfield with McCann, with Almiron, with Vichalba, uh, and potentially with Guardado, Gonzalo Verón would be a player who could fit on the left wing. Um, I think a lot of times he's been looked at as an attacking midfielder, central midfielder here in MLS, but with San Lorenzo, um, he often played on the left wing on the opposite side of Vishalva. That's a pretty amazing thing to pull off in this league, to get two players from the same club in Argentina that have played in a system similar to this that would be a fit and have that kind of instant chemistry of knowing each other. Verón can also slide inside and play inside as Almiron can slide out to the left as well. So you have a lot of flexibility built in if you add Verón. Verone is a designated player with New York, uh, but he's only on a contract at around $500,000. That can be bought down with allocation money. So you could essentially get another designated player for you know, a regular salary by using some of this allocation money that you have to work with. If Verone's available, he would make a lot of sense unless there is another move for a left winger that we don't know about. Or they don't want to tie up that much salary in another attacking player and they want to reserve it for a defender. So there you go with our thoughts on Gonzalo Verone. Um, the biggest question is going to be if he's left protected or not, left unprotected or not. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, our second pick was Harry Ship from Montreal Impact. If, if you've heard me or been in the ATL soccer chats before, Harry Ship is one of my favorite players in the league and feel like he's gotten a raw deal in the last year uh, when he was shipped out of Chicago. Uh, he's at Montreal. There's really not a place for him to play in Montreal right now. I think he's going to be left unprotected just due to the numbers game with the impact. He is a player, again, who can play centrally or play on the left. Um, depending on what you do, and he's a player, honestly, with the Guardado deal being still on track, according to Grant Wall, you might not make this move. Um, you might not draft him here because of, again, that numbers game. If, let's say, you get Verone with the number one pick, you're looking at a central midfield trio of McCann, Guardado, if he happens, and Almiron. Then Verone on the left, Fischalba on the right. That would leave no spot for Harry Ship. If you decide not to go with Verone or Guardado's deal looks like it could be you know, off the table at that point, then Harry ship makes more sense. Um, you could also take him here because we felt like at this point too, he was the best player available 
you could take him as trade bait for somebody who was protected that you want to make a trade for. So that's another possibility here. Um, Looking at pick number three, we went with Jack McInerney of the Portland Timbers, a local product who a lot of people have expected would be available in the expansion draft and a lot of people expected would be interesting for Atlanta United. We'll have to wait and see on that. Um, the Brandon Vasquez signing also makes this one a little more of a shot in the dark. And full disclosure, we did the mock draft before the Vasquez signing, before the Almiron signing. So it could have come out differently if we had had those already in play. So when it comes to McInerney, he would be a great fit. He would be a player who could pair with Jones when they play two forwards. He would be a player that could play up top by himself. He's a player who's done well with limited minutes in the league. He's a local product. There's a lot of things that have this make sense. Now that you have Vasquez on the table, you might not go this route unless you want to loan Vasquez to a USL club for the season to get experience playing every day. Because he won't play every day with Kenwin Jones here. Uh, Will he be a guy who can spell Jones? Yes, he's a similar type of player. Um, I don't see Vasquez and Jones playing together very often because they're very similar. I think McInerney would give you the option to give you a different look up top or to pair him with either Vasquez or Jones. So maybe it makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. You'd have to consider your other needs, which we'll get to in a second and salary. And do you want to take your third pick in the expansion draft on a guy who might be your third forward when you're typically going to play one? That's something to consider. If you're already thinking a loan move for Vasquez for next season, Maybe it changes a little bit. We'll have to see. But McInerney uh, would be a, would likely be available in the expansion draft, and we'll see where that goes. Number four, we took Michael Stevens from the Chicago Fire. Stevens is a player that can play as a defensive midfielder, as a box-to-box midfielder. He can even play as an attacking midfielder a little bit. He can sl- slot out wide. He's a very versatile midfielder, and in this type of shape where you have lots of different roles, a player who can kind of be your backup at all of them is incredibly valuable. I think I think Stevens is a, a fairly technical player as well. I think his passing is very good. I think he'd be a fit. He'd, he'd be one of those, like Rob said in our, our write-up, he's not one that's going to get a lot of headlines, but he'd be a great player to improve the depth of the squad. So... If Michael Stevens is available in the expansion draft, I'd love to see him end up in Atlanta because of that. So our last pick, we went with London Woodbury from the New England Revolution. Now, Woodbury's a player, and I've seen some people say like they don't think he'll be available in the expansion draft. It could he could be 50-50, in my opinion. I think he might get exposed. He might be available. There's other options at outside back. Uh, Mark Bloom from Toronto, local player is one. Um, There will be some others that could be possible here. Um, We'll just have to see where it goes. But outside back looked a lot deeper in our mock draft than center back did. So we wanted to get one, and Woodbury was the one that was available to us in the mock draft that we liked the best. Um, If he's not, I think Atlanta will definitely pick an outside back in the expansion draft. I think there's going to be enough options there to get a good one and get a starter. And that's a huge hole in this lineup right now because you have four defensive slots on your starting lineup and you have zero people for them unless somehow Chris McCann ends up at left back, which I don't think anybody wants to see happen. Okay, so that's the expansion draft. Um, The expansion draft protected lists will come out next Monday. Uh, Not sure what time. Usually it's about 24 hours before the draft, so that would put it mid-afternoon. We'll have to wait and see what those look like to then do a real deep dive into who will be available and who's priority. And we'll do that. Uh, I'll have to check with Jarrett, or maybe we do an ATL soccer chat Monday night ahead of the expansion draft as a preview and really deep dive into these lists and, and get your opinions on it. If you see our our mock draft list and you have any questions, have any uh, comments you'd like to share, hit us up at Dirty South Sock on Twitter, S-O-C. The article's on DirtySouthSoccer.com. You can get me on Twitter at Longshoe. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it now that you kind of hear my my side, my strategy, as Rob and I were thinking about this and what we should do. 
Okay. So that's the expansion draft. We've talked about the trade window. You also have three other player acquisition mechanisms next week to consider. First one's free agency. That'll open up next Tuesday, uh, about this time. It'll open up Tuesday night. You're going to have some players available there that can step in and start day one. Um, Will Johnson is one defensive midfielder from Toronto who says he's going to test free agency. Johnson's a starter in this league. Uh, he might not be as big of a fit here now that you know we're talking about Guardado being a possible addition into the midfield trio with McCann and Almiron, but Johnson is a player who will start in this league and somebody will snatch him up in free agency. Demarcus Beasley will be available via free agency, it appears. Uh, left back. Um, had a really good year this year at Houston, and I thought he was slipping a little bit, but he surprised me this year. He could give you a year or two. Um, he could also bring a lot of veteran leadership. And with a young team, as this is looking, Beasley could be extremely valuable because of that. The best center back that I've seen right now that would be available in free agency is David Horst, uh, another Houston player. Solid center back. I think he's he's potential starting level quality in this league. Um, he's kind of bounced around a little bit. He should be available as a free agency as, as a free agent. Another outside back is Chance Myers from Kansas City, who's played a good bit in this league. Um, Jacob Peterson, one of his teammates on the right wing, would be a depth player with Atlanta. Javier Morales would be a depth player from Salt Lake. Uh, not sure where he's going to end up after this season. And Paulo Nagamura from Kansas City, defensive midfielder. Those are some of the best options that, that are potential free agents right now. Now, remember that these players can re-sign with their existing team up until the day before free agency opens and the day before the waiver draft for those guys and the day before re-entry draft for those guys. So we could see some changes to these lists, but at the moment, those are some players who would be our potential free agents. The waiver draft is next, and that will be on Thursday the 15th. Uh, four guys jumped out to me there. Seb Hines is a center back from Orlando who started a good bit for Orlando over the past two years. Mistake prone would be one way to put it. Um, if you pair him with somebody, maybe you can protect him, but he is a starting level center back in this league uh, based on the past who will be available in the waiver draft, which you don't often see. The waiver draft is usually play younger players who haven't been in the league very long and didn't get much of a chance, like a Jordan McCrary, an outside back uh, from the University of North Carolina, also from the Atlanta area, who was at New England, and ne never really got a chance to play much there. He can play on either side in the back. You could take a flyer on him. Uh, Boyd Okwankwu, sorry, I'm probably butchering your name, Boyd. I'm very sorry for that. Uh, from Real Salt Lake is another former U.S. Youth International um, he can play mostly on the right, but he could play a little center back for you as well. He could be a possibility if you like what you've seen with him at the national team level. The reentry draft is where you're likely going to see Atlanta pick up another starter or two, and I think that's where some center backs will be available. Michael Parkhurst is the one that I come to the most um, because of his pedigree, because of you know his leadership. He's been a captain with Columbus. He's been a player with the U.S. national team. Uh, he's played overseas. He's getting a little older. He's probably lost a step. But if you pair him with someone who can help him recover for that, uh, who, can, who can cover for him for that, Parkhurst can be a valuable piece to this lineup and provide a lot of stability in the back. Other center backs right now that would be available in the reentry draft, Zach Lloyd from Dallas, Aaron Mond from Real Salt Lake, Kevin Ellis from Kansas City, and Ronald Zubar from New York. Uh Zubar, Ellis, and Mond are reportedly negotiating with their teams. They might resign where they're at. I uh, haven't heard if Lloyd is or not. Lloyd is coming off of injury last year. So you have some center backs. You have some good center backs available here, but there's questions really on each of them. Other players in the reentry draft you might want to consider. Uh, Gershon Coffey from New England. Um, Ole Miss Garcia, right winger from Real Salt Lake, would be a good depth option. Colin Warner, defensive midfielder from Houston, is another good depth option, especially if you don't get Stevens in the expansion draft. Uh, Steve Newman is another attacking midfielder from uh, New England, played at Georgetown, who I've always liked as a technical player, but he had never really fit in with what New England wanted to do, didn't get much of a chance. 
You also have Christian Maidana from Houston, uh, a true number 10, doesn't really go box to box, isn't much of a defender, but ch- creates a bunch of chances. Um, he played with Philadelphia before he went to Houston. He could be a possibility. So that's everything next week. Um, we have our interview with Andre Sherrard here coming up, talking about the Super Draft. Really, in the Super Draft, after talking to Andre, I think center back Miles Robinson is a player that makes a ton of sense if he signs a Generation Adidas deal. He could step in and play right away. He's a US U20 uh, international from Syracuse. Um, very good player, not the most athletic, but a very smart player, smart soccer IQ. I think he'd be a fit for what Tata wants to do, and he'd be a young player who would be off your salary cap as a Generation Adidas signing. He is, I believe, a sophomore at Syracuse right now. Generation Adidas would give you a lot of flexibility in, in creating this roster because you'd have a player who's off the cap while he's a part of that program. So Miles Robinson could be that fit. You also have the option of taking whoever Minnesota does not take between Jeremy Ababise and Jackson UL, uh, two attacking players. UL's more of an attacking midfielder. Ababise is a forward or wide forward. Minnesota has the number one pick, and they're going to take one of the two. Atlanta could take the other one, use it as trade bait, or use them as depth if they're not a big fan of Robinson or if Robinson doesn't sign that generation Adidas deal. They also need to look at you know, possibly getting a player who can contribute with their second round pick or making some trades to get more, more spots. So the super draft will come into focus as we get closer into January. That'll be in the middle of the month. So lots of options there and you really need to get one or two starters out of that group. So again, going through the lineup as we have it right now, you have a midfield that is in really good focus, even without Guardado, without Kratz, you have a lot of options there. You have Kenwin Jones and Brandon Vasquez and Jeffrey O'Toole. You have three forwards on the roster at the moment. You have no defenders. You have probably a backup goalkeeper, and it looks like you have a trade set up for Sean Johnson to be your starter. You also have the three young Newell's Old Boys players who could potentially step in as starters or in a rotation or might need an adjustment uh, playing in Charleston for a little while. So we'll see where that goes. Tons of things happening. Um, I guess what it comes down to is Atlanta United has not been a typical expansion process. Uh, they have not been afraid of spending money. And a big thing about Grant Wall's piece today that jumped out to me is, you know, they, they've spent money and they spent money on Almiron. They are looking to be spending money on Guardado if that is still on track. But they were also very clear in saying that they're not out of budget because they have used revenues that are coming in via sponsorship, via season ticket sales. And when you have season ticket sales at 22 to 25,000 people right now, that's a good chunk of change to work with. You also have the American family insurance deal. You have all of the sponsors at the stadium. Um, Each of the stadium founding partners have a sponsorship deal that's part of that deal with Atlanta United. So that's where your Home Depots and others fit into it. This has been a very different process, and a lot of people around the country are wondering if this is kind of the norm for MLS going forward. That's hard to say. Minnesota has taken a completely different route and looked to be building more of a grassroots squad, more of a blue-collar squad. Uh, a lot of probably more domestic-based squad, um, not really looking to spend this type of money right now. Next year, LAFC will be looking to spend this type of money and possibly more. So I think it's going to be a case-by-case basis. Um, there's not one way to win in MLS. There are Right now, you have the Torontos and Seattles in MLS Cup, which are not afraid of spending. They're in the top you know, two, three, four in spending in the league. You've had Real Salt Lake be a competitive team in this league and win an MLS Cup. You've had the LA Galaxy win with spending. You've had Sporting Kansas City win with more of a money ball approach. You've had a little bit of everything, and that will always continue. That's the joys of a league that's built on parity. And you'll see a Colorado pop up from time to time that is not spending a ton of money, but competitive. And then you'll see the teams that spend money and spend it intelligently that 
have more resources and put it together and get the job done. Atlanta's definitely looking to be a team that is not afraid to spend, but they're also doing it differently than many teams have done in the league. You know, you look at LA, you look at Toronto, you look at Seattle, who've built on veterans, possibly older players or players in their prime, whereas Atlanta has picked up a Vishalba and Almiron as designated players who are still growing. You've also added three youth internationals in Vasquez and Andrew Carlton and Chris Goslin, who are part of the U.S. youth international scene right now. They've hit both. And if these three players come over from Newell's, then you're picking up three young players out of South America who could turn into something. It's been very different. And I think what you'll see now in these other player acquisition methods, and especially from within the league, you'll want to see some veteran leadership and some veterans who know the league well. And that's where a DeMarcus Beasley could be a great signing. A Michael Parker could be a great signing. A Michael Stevens, who's you know a younger veteran, but still a veteran, could be a great addition. So lots of options, lots of moving parts. We'll be on top of it as best we can at DirtySouthSoccer.com. Follow me on Longshoe. I try to share all the news as I find it, as I see it. Uh, try to answer any questions you might have. Don't hesitate to throw them my way. We'll be back tomorrow with the ATL Soccer Chat at 8 o'clock on Facebook Live. Definitely join us for that. Bring your questions there because we'll have a ton of things to discuss. We'll see if we have any new news ahead of that. And we're getting closer and closer to this thing becoming real. You know, this is, again, it's just... It's been quite the process, and you know, it seemed a long time out into the future that we'd be looking at what the starting lineup will be. And the end of next week, we'll have a fairly good sense of what Atlanta United's opening day starting lineup could be. And for for those of you who you know, followed this, followed Atlanta soccer from before this was announced to the ones who just jumped on board when MLS Atlanta was announced in 2014. This has been a long time coming, so the excitement is completely valid, and it's it's been it's been cool to cover it, cool to follow it. So, thanks for all of you who read and listen and and listen to me ramble on about Atlanta United. But next up to close this out is my interview with Andre Sherard, uh, MLS college scout, former Atlanta Silverbacks defender, uh, played at the University of North Carolina. Check it out, um, and we will. Talk to you soon. Join us tomorrow for the Facebook Live chat as well. Thanks, everybody. All right. Welcome, welcome to, to a new edition of the Peach Pit. Uh, today I am joined by Andre Sherard, former Atlanta Silverback and now current college scout. Hey, Andre, what's going on? Doing all right. How about yourself? Doing good. Doing good. Um, Big news today with Atlanta United was the signing of Miguel Almiron, which brings us to a whole nother element of Atlanta United's player acquisition, which is going to be the Super Draft. And a lot of questions have come up about just generally the Super Draft and the level of college talent. From from my initial research, it looks like it's a fairly deep draft. Is that kind of what you're thinking as well? Yeah, I think that there are some guys you can pick. Um, in the first first two rounds that could potentially make your roster, especially if you're doing the scouting right, if you know what you want to get and put them in the right situation. Those first two rounds, you can, you can find two decent players who can at least make a contribution. Obviously, maybe not a Keegan Rosenberry type of contribution, but they could, they could, they could make them, they can make a name out of themselves. Do you think there there are some players like a Keegan Rosenberry, like a Kyle Lahren, players that can come in and be, you know, I don't know if I want to go so far as to say an impact player, but a starter day one, especially with that number two pick? Yeah, um, there, there are a couple of guys. I, but I think that most of those guys, you would be looking for a GA, which it might take them a little time. But out of some seniors, there's a guy out of Maryland called... Chris Odiatum, um, right back, very fast, lightning, uh, was a converted center back, but moved out out wide because Sasha thought that that would be his best pro position. He's 5'10". He has blazing pace. He can get up and down. His 
service has gotten better, and he's already a pretty decent defender. So I think that's one of the senior guys that if you're looking for a defender that's a senior that could play right away and has the athleticism for it, he's one of your guys. He, he seems to be a good, good fit, too, with his speed, as, as we're seeing with guys like T.W. Vichalda and, and Almiron, both very fast players. It seems like speed is going to be a priority for Tata Martino and building the team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, your fullback positions, you want, you want pace going up, up and down because you need them to get back and forth. So those wing positions, especially, yeah, you want pace because... You're going to be dealing with pacey wingers yourself, and you want to get up the pitch yourself. So, Another senior I've seen mentioned a lot, another right back, is Reagan Dunk from Denver. Uh, what are your feelings on him? Where do you think he projects? I think he, can, I think he has the hype that he could probably be a mid-round pick. Uh, he has good technique. Decent athleticism, not very, not as fast as Odie Atom, but he he can get up the pitch, and he has good service on the ball. So I think that he could be somebody that, if he sneaks into the first or the second round, eh, a, a guy you could bring in. Possibly he can play for the battery for the first couple of months to just get his legs under him as a professional. Makes sense, and that's an option, too, that you know, we haven't really talked about a lot, is some of these guys that Atlanta United might draft might actually get their playing experience early on with the battery in the USL. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Tata doesn't know much about the college game because he's coming from Argentina. So, you know, he might think that these guys do need the time and the experience. And he obviously, he's got to get started right away, especially with some of the signings that he has. So maybe, you know, a couple a couple of games over at the battery can help them out. Yeah, and I'll be curious, like you mentioned Generation Adidas, and for the people who, you know, aren't as familiar with all the MLS roster rules, Generation Adidas is, is a very valuable designation when you can get these guys because they don't count towards your salary cap. And I know it's early. Uh, there will be some guys that will go, get signed out of college early under the Generation Adidas situation. One right now is Jeremy Elbise, who was a Duke, signed uh, before the college season this year and went on loan to Charleston. You know, what have you, what have you seen out of Elbise, and who would you compare him to? Um, good pace, has decent technique, uh, good finisher of the ball. And apparently, well, from what I gathered, it seems like he's getting it together mentally and being a little bit more coachable. Um, I think that was kind of a concern when um, John Kerr, was uh, one of our scouts, was talking to them. Um, as a comparison, actually one of the scouts that I talked to said they think that he might be a more polished Zardis, actually. Ah, oh, very nice. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and another player, ACC, looks like there's a ton of talent out of the conference, and that's uh, in your neck of the woods. Uh, a guy who might sign a homegrown deal, and I've seen back and forth on if he would even be eligible as a homegrown, uh, is Ian Harks, uh, John Harks' son. What do, you, what do you think of Ian? He seems to have really you know, risen in status uh, kind of as the season has went on. Yes, he's a I mean, very smart player, good vision, um, good touch on the ball, very comfortable on the dribble, can get up and back, play, plays in that number eight role for Wake Forest. And he has a good shot on him. I think he's he's one of those guys that would be one of the first first seniors taken out. But with his DC United status and the fact that it seems like he's not that interested in it, he has an avenue where he could possibly go to Europe because he was born in England, especially when John Hartz played there. So he has that opportunity right. where he can go to Europe and leverage that to a bigger deal, which that could potentially happen if he doesn't sign with DC United. He could just leverage that in his senior deal where it's like, hey, I have these opportunities in Europe. I might be able to sign with them. And MLS doesn't want a kid like that to let him go. 
Yeah, and that's the risk when you get into some of some guys like Harks and other internationals in the college game who have the opportunity to at least go on trials in Europe, and you might pick them with a first-round pick, but you might not actually see these guys. I would assume that's something the technical directors and coaches are really weighing heavily with some of these decisions. Yeah, and some some guys will just take them just so they can have their rights so they could potentially trade them for, you know, allocation money. So that could be another avenue for these technical directors. Sure, that, that makes sense. sense. Um, defense is kind of an issue with the United right now because we don't have any defenders on this roster. Uh, we talked about a couple outside backs. What are you seeing at, at center back, both with the generation Adidas potential guys and seniors who might be a good fit um, either with that second pick or a second or third round pick. Yes. You have Miles Robinson of Syracuse who's a U-20 youth national for the United States. Um, good strong kid. Six foot two. You know, he doesn't have great athleticism but he gets the job done. He's there. He's sturdy and you know, he covers the ground. It could be good for for good potential. A guy out of UNC, Walker Hume, who's six foot five, slender, but he has good feet, good technical skills, very very strong in the air, attacking and defensively, and is a guy maybe that I don't see many people are talking about. A guy who can sneak up there into a top five, top ten pick, or if people sleep on him, you could get him with that second round pick and he could potentially be a starter right away. Okay, good to hear. Another one um, that is at a smaller school that I've seen kind of a wide variety of uh, thoughts on him is uh, Francis DeVry at St. Francis. Um, he seems to be getting some attention. Uh, he's from New Zealand. Seems to be getting some attention, but nobody seems to really have a grasp on where he might go. What do you, what do you think about him at the next level? Yep, left-footed kid, um, big, strong kid. You just got to worry about that international. Um, I think people want to stock their internationals with guys who are well-known or, like in your case, you know, veteran guys. So I think that's a worry that you have to have with a guy like that New Zealand international. Um, in a small school, so the competition isn't as comparable as, say, the ACC or Big Ten or Pac-12. So that's something you got to concern about, especially if he makes the combine, because there are not a lot of left-footed, left-center backs out there ready for him. So, Right, that's, that's a, a good point. And the international status is, is something to definitely consider as Atlanta United is is filling up its roster with, with international players. Right now, there's five. Um, it's, understand, it's understood that Atlanta United will have eight international slots to begin the season. There were some, some talk about the new expansion teams this year getting additional slots, but that hasn't been confirmed, and, and I don't know if it will or not. But five so far, there's other potential signings. Maybe that makes your first couple draft choices domestic as a priority as opposed to a player who might be better but is going to have an international tag. Yes. Um, some other guys who I've seen a good bit of talk about, Brandon Aubrey at Notre Dame, um, an all-ACC. Uh, I've seen him listed as a center back. I've seen him uh, he can play in midfield. Where do you think he fits the next level? I think I think the center back position, he's not very, not very fast and athletic, but he has good technical skills, decent in the air, uh, can can play out of the back, which is something that many MLS teams need. It's just yeah. that athleticism that is very concerning with them. But he he's a very highly touted kid. Can score goals. Has can score offset pieces with his with his shot or in the air. So there's somebody else that you can look at. And he could be a good shout. A couple other guys that have a couple links to Atlanta. Tim Kubel from Louisville. His uh, former assistant coach is in Atlanta United's academy now, Chris Birch. 
I've seen him listed at a couple different positions as well. Uh, defensive midfield, I've seen him listed as a right back at the next level. What do you, what do you think on him? I would be intrigued to see him as a center midfielder. He has a technical gifts, and he has a passing range for it. Uh, he's a natural right back. He gets up the he gets up the field and can serve in a good ball with his left and his right foot. Also, I mean, you just got to worry about his defending. He tends to stab stab in really quickly when you have to be a little bit more patient. And his athleticism and, like I said, the international status. I believe he's turning twenty three or twenty four. Yes. When it, when he gets when he gets into the draft, so that's something that you have to concern yourself with also. But he's a good, good kid, good, good there, technical kid, that he'll be a guy that's comfortable on the ball, getting up and back. Good point. Um, so, so looking at this draft, kind of in general over the last few years, where do you think the super draft is for MLS teams and building a roster? Do you think it's slipped in importance, or do you think it still has a good level of importance as a team that's building its roster for a season? I think it's I think it's slipped a little bit in importance, especially with the teams that don't have or I wouldn't say don't care about the two their um second teams in the USL, but that's where they kinda build those rosters to see if A, if this guy could play at a USL level, let's try him out. Because once you get to around ten, eleven, twelve, after that you're, you're you're kind of grasping for scrolls after that, so you might get you might get a guy who might be able to make it, but might not. They might get cut after a couple of month after a couple of weeks. So I think as of now, when you get to your first ten picks, those are guys that you expect to at least have an impact, if not their first season, maybe their probably their second season. So, but after that, many many teams are like. Well, we'll try him out. We'll see how he has it. And if he doesn't have it, you know, it's not that important to us. Makes Makes sense. Um, With with Atlanta Atlanta coming in this year, with Minnesota coming in this year, and looking to add as many many players as they can find, and in Atlanta's case, add as many domestic players as they can find, do you think you could see a situation like what happened last year with Philadelphia where they uh, picked up a couple extra top six picks and added three important guys in the, in the first six picks. Yes, that, that could definitely happen. Especially you have Carlos Bocanegra who knows the MLS game and has probably done some scouting himself or his his other staff. They probably have done scouting and have identified possibly three or four players that they think can make an impact right away. If they don't feel like that, then they'll probably just stand packed with their second pick and, and go on from there. It's going to be interesting to see because Philly really was aggressive last year. And I guess they felt like, you know, when you could get players like Yarrow and Rosenberry, that that could transform the team. Do you think this year's, first round is comparable to last year or is it not quite as high quality? I don't I think the first maybe five pick, five to ten picks um, especially with the GA class coming out, I think that could that could definitely it could be a little, it could be as comparable. You, you have a very fast right back at Chris Odiatsum who will who will be a top ten pick you have a guy like Ibu Bise who's a definitely a top 10 pick. So I think as the impact goes, maybe it will have not the first season like Philly did. Maybe those guys won't have such an impact, but I think going forward, I think those 10 to 12 guys, they could be comparable. Okay. 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 That, that, that makes me feel a little bit better about this upcoming super draft. Um, that's good. Uh, <laughs> All right, let, let me get one sleeper that if you had a pick late in the draft and he's still on the board and you, you probably think you would be still on the board late, that could be a complete surprise. Who do you think it would be? A late sleeper pick. Hmm. 
put me on the spot on this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I believe there's got UNC Colton Storm. Um, very athletic kid. He's a former winger, okay. but as he got, as he kept on playing with Carolina, they moved him further back. He he'll be playing. He'll be a right back coming out of college. I think he's a guy that you know, has athletic gifts and has improved technically, especially pass, especially the entry pass under pressure. That he's a guy that if you can get in the later round, I think he could be somebody that that can make your roster and can be an important player. Interesting. And in, in North Carolina, they play a three-man back line most of the time, right? Yes. Okay, so he's, is he playing on the back line now, or is he playing in midfield? Yes, he's playing in the back line, the right center back. Okay. Walker Hume plays left center back. So those two guys kind of man the fort. Okay. I've seen more college teams playing three in the back. Uh, seems like more recently than used to. Is that kind of a common shift, or are you seeing a lot of variety in the college game right now? I've seen a lot of variety, but since... I think since 2014 World Cup when Louis Van Hall did the back three, I think I've seen more and more teams do it now. UNC rarely did it until I saw the after the 2014 season where they pretty much have done it ever since. And okay, and, th- and and th- yeah, and those type of teams you have your comfortable guy in the back as a right center back who's comfortable on the ball who could ping the ball back and forth and then you have two athletic guys right to his right and to his left so they can handle pretty much everything it's, it's going to be fun to see i mean this is the, the super draft is something brand new for atlanta united fans um you know we're, we're kind of waiting to see how this is going to go and and who will who will be joining the squad, and who might be a good fit? Um, you know, if you have four picks, if you know, are you trying to get what's realistic? Are you trying to get out of this draft two guys on the final roster? Is that a safe bet? If you do that, you've, you've done your job. Yes, you, if you've got two guys, you have done your job. Once once you get to that third round, it's it's all about. What what your staff has seen through tape, through the combine, through, through local links that they have with the all the coaching staffs in college. If you can find somebody in those late rounds that can make your roster, you're doing pretty well. But those first two picks, if you can get if you can get one of those guys to pan out, you're doing all right too. But maybe one to two players, you're doing fine. Three to four, you are doing better than expected. And And there's there's third and fourth round picks. Where do you see teams generally go? Is it maybe looking at a smaller school guy you're not sure how they they fit at the next level or a guy like we talked about, Colton Storm, who might be changing position at the next level? Where where do you see those third and fourth round picks go typically? Well, certain, certain teams will go local. Like, New England will okay. go after a guy from New Hampshire State, for example. Or a, sure. or a D2 guy who's heralded in that level. Um, there are obviously going to be Division One guys who fall into the cracks. And if you've done your job scouting, you can get one of those guys in there. Okay. okay, makes, makes sense. sense. Feel, Feel a little bit better about this now. Um, I'll, I'll be curious to see where we go with the second pick, and I'll be curious to see, really, especially the generation of Adidas class. And you know, for for people who haven't followed it as closely, when do you usually start to see generation Adidas signings announced? It will. It'll probably the first batch will probably happen sometime right before the new year. They'll probably start to offer some of these guys or get close to offering them before Christmas. Okay. And those first batch of guys, whoever signs, you'll find out about it probably after the new year. And then if there are second batch of guys that, you know, certain GA guys rejected the offers or want a different offer, then 
it it will happen closer to the combine. So for the most time, for the most part, before the combine, you'll have probably between sixty to seventy five percent of the GA class offered and accepted. So at least they will. The coaching staff will get to see most of those guys play in the combine. Okay. And And how how many guys do you think is a safe bet for this generation of the U.S. class? Six, eight, ten? I think think between five to seven. I think that would be best for this class. I think there are a couple of guys in there that are questionable, especially a guy like Tim Kubel, even though he is highly regarded. But you got to worry about his international status. And whether a team could take a guy like that in the draft. Makes sense. And, and, and is 5 to 7, is that a, a normal size for a generation in this class? Or smaller or larger? How does that compare typically? I think that is probably around the, around the average of how many guys get it. That You would rarely see 10 double-digit GA signings unless... Okay. The college game is is going really well, but you will not you will not see double digit GA signings very often. Okay, makes, makes total, total sense. And, and you would expect if let's say it's seven, let's go on high end, that those guys would go in the top what 10, 12 picks. Top twelve picks De- depends on what they show in the combine. Also, their Christian Rodon of Seattle fell. A little bit because of what happened in the combine, and Seattle scooped him up really late in the first round. So it depends on it depends on what the need is, and it depends on how well they play in front of those coaches, also. Because yeah, you shouldn't take a three game sample, but there's certain guys out there that that do, and I don't want to throw any shade anywhere because. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 I, I got, got you. you. I got you. I, I don't, don't want to get you in trouble. trouble. We'll, we'll, we'll cut, cut it there. there. Um, so, <laughs> without throwing shade, tell me in general about this, the, the combine process for people who you know, haven't really followed it. It's, what, three, four days uh, with all the coaches and general managers there? Yes. Three days of playing. They'll have a kind of physical test where they do, where they do sprints and agility um, tests. On one of those days, and yeah, it's basically three days of them them playing around between fifty four and sixty guys get invited. A couple of D two guys will get will probably get invited out of that list, and yeah, it's the is those guys' chance to show the all the coaches and USL coaches will be there, and yeah. I don't want to say an ASL. <laughs> I was about to say, you're about to say an ASL, you're trying to catch yourself. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what I was going to say. Um, so we'll, we'll see about, about that one. one. We'll, yes. we'll see if the ASL coaches are there or if, or if we'll see what's going on with that. But, yeah, I mean, because most of those guys, even though there's at least 40 super draft picks between rounds one and two, most of those guys aren't going to get picked in those rounds. So, a USL team who doesn't have an affiliation can go, "Hey, I I can I can bring a couple of these guys in and we can be successful." Makes, Makes sense. sense. And, and last, last question, question since, since we, we talked talk so much about Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta doesn't have the number 1 pick. Minnesota does. What, what do you think, think makes sense for Minnesota with that, that number 1 spot? I've been going around this for a while now. My gut says that they should go with Jeremy Obise. Obise. Ah, can't say his name now. Ebo Obise of Duke. Um, they should go with him. But I can see Jackson Yule of UCLA, who is a Minnesota kid, going in the right. GA draft. And I can see them. I can see them possibly picking him. Then that's, that's been the consensus. Is nobody can seem to tell. Are they going to go MLBC or are they going to go uh, UL? Because yeah. they, they snatched up the, the Super Draft number one pick, and yes. that made me think they had something in mind. So, yes, if you yeah, if you goes GA, gets the offer, accepts it, 
I'm I'm betting my house that I don't have that he will be the number one pick. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to remember that. that. I'm, I'm not going to go to Vegas on you right now, but I'm going to remember that. <laughs> All right, Andre. Hey, thank you for doing this so much. And uh, I might check back in with you before we get to the Super Draft, maybe once the, the GA class is announced or, or maybe right ahead of the Combine or something. Um, but this is a huge help, and I know for, for Atlanta United fans who had a ton of questions about the Super Draft, this will be really useful. So thanks for your time. I appreciate it. No problem.